Hello and welcome to All You Ever Wanted to Know. Last Friday of the month means it's heart to heart with David Disty, uh, Jordan Patswold here. David, it's great to see you once again. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jordan. How are you? Doing awesome. Now, you're very excited. You've lined up a very special guest for us on the program today. Yeah, I am. I'm really excited. Uh, today on the line, we have Dr. Bob Paul, and he's the vice president of the Folks on the Family Marriage Institute. Um, so he's been uh, working with folks on the family in the, the Family Marriage Institute to develop some great ways to help couples. Um, so he's been working a lot with couples in crisis, but the things that he's been developing um, in, in collaboration with other, other therapists have uh, a lot of applicability to, to everybody, all marriages, and I've found it helpful in lots of different uh, relationship settings too. Yeah, well, Dr. Paul, thanks so much for being on the program with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to be with you guys. Well, I can recall uh, being told uh, while I was going through my pre-marriage counseling that a marriage is going to work a heck of a lot better when it's run like a vehicle. You don't just wait for things to really fall apart before you start working on it. A marriage is all about fine-tuning, working on it as it goes along if you really want a long-lasting marriage. Uh, I guess, Dr. Paul, with some of these things we're going to be talking about today, uh, is that kind of the theme in general? A healthy marriage is one that is always being worked on? Uh, I think certainly it's something that is always being worked on uh, because we're imperfect people in a fallen world, so there's always plenty of issues to resolve. But I would say that for us, the foundation is getting in line with God and His design. And I find that it is so much easier to do anything in life when we're in harmony with God and His design than to try and do it at odds with Him. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, so uh, how did God design marriage? What does He desire marriage to look like? Well, I think that um, first and foremost, one of the things that we've we've learned the hard way because it is even seen in many cases as countercultural, which is kind of sad, but that many times people don't realize that you can't have a healthy, thriving marriage without people who are at least on the road to becoming whole and healthy, because the marriage really doesn't start, I mean, doesn't exist apart from the people. So we're very mindful that that we need to be attending to the health and well-being of the individual's as well as how they do their relationship. Mm -hmm. I find so often that we're, we're focused on uh, the other person, like, well, you need to do this, you need to do that, instead of focusing on, on ourselves and our health and well-being. Absolutely. And many times, uh, you know, with, even within the Church, we are um, maybe even misled a little bit because uh, it's often taught, and I've been, I've been a Christian for a good long time, it's often taught as if, uh, it's all about self-sacrifice and, and, and giving, which, of course, are important and wonderful. But if your tank is empty, uh, you really have nothing to give. And um, we find that many believers come in running on fumes and not understanding why the relationships aren't working well, looking to their spouse to, to somehow uh, compensate for the fact that their tank's empty. And um, they can't understand under those circumstances why the relationship isn't working because their spouse is likely in a similar condition and two empty people aren't going to be able to do much to fill each other up. Mm -hmm. 
I, I recently heard from a, a pastor. He said, um, people don't need you. They need Christ. Just be a good branch. And that sounds like the, the metaphor that you're using. We need to fill up our tank. And being a good branch is about uh, drinking from, from Christ, from God, making sure that we're, we're a healthy branch. And then there'll be fruit that comes from that. But first and foremost, we need to look at filling up our tank, being healthy spiritually ourselves. Right, and and honestly, personally, I I really didn't understand this when I got married to my wife. Um, I was very much a believer in everything I'd been taught through my culture, through my church, and and it was that I really needed to look to my wife to to be the source, whether I was aware of this or not, to be the source of my fulfillment and my satisfaction, and she could look to me. To be that, and what I didn't understand was that I was adopting. I know this is a bit of psychobabble, but we've adopted a we I had adopted a codependent mindset that I was unwittingly looking to my spouse to be my source. And as a believer, I mean, I, I really realize now in hindsight that that's ridiculous. That God has to be my source. My wife Jenny can't be. She doesn't have any more to draw on than I do if she's not plugged into the Lord. Mm-hmm. We both, uh, both parties need to be plugged into the Lord or else we're both running on empty. Sure. Um, so and that's what we see, and we see that all the time. With you know, We work with, with thousands of couples who are in pretty significant need and struggle and not understanding why things aren't working because they're trying so darn hard, trying everything they can think of, and they're, they're, they're just so confused. Why is this not working? Mm-hmm. And so what can people do to focus on uh, filling their tank to, making, to make sure that the uh, marriage can be healthier too? I'd say the first thing that needs to happen is they have to recognize that it really is their responsibility, uh, that it, and it's an expectation that the Lord has of them. It's not contrary. It's not selfish. Focusing on, on getting whole and healthy and getting filled up is the opposite of, of self-centeredness and selfishness. And it's interesting because it's even scripturally directed, if you will, or at least implied by Jesus himself. It's, it's interesting when you look at the great commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, first, of, first and foremost, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he followed it with this. He said, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how much people get the commands to love God and to love your neighbor, but they seem to miss the assumption that that you're caring well for yourself and that your tank is full. And what I see with people frequently, matter of fact, just last week I was working with a group, um, and I found that this was commonly the case. They're talking about dying to self and self-sacrifice, which is important and needs to be understood in the right context. But um, when you really look at how they're trying to live this out, it's like they've rewritten the Scripture, and this is how they write it. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor instead of yourself. Mm. And there's no—and they really see focusing on caring well for themselves, which I believe is a responsibility that God has given each of us to care for this temple that we've, that's been entrusted to His property, been entrusted to our care— um, and to make that a primary focus of attention, then love your neighbor just like that in the same way. And we've, we've come to believe, many of us, that that would be selfish and self-centered, to take time to care for myself 
not recognizing you can't give what you don't have. If your tank is empty, you're of no use to anybody, yourself and the Lord included. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Paul, what does sometimes that look like? Is it about taking time for yourself away by yourself to just be able to give yourself that time? Is that what we're talking about when we say love ourselves a little bit in that way as well, in part? Well, that could be. I mean, that's certainly what Jesus did. But um, but for some people, like for me, I'm more actually more introverted by nature, and I love people tremendously. But um, I but but I get drained when I'm in a social situation for too long or doing the work that I do with people all the time, and I got to recharge my battery by getting alone. I um, mean, I've just got to, uh, or I'm running on empty. My wife, on the other hand, is a complete and total extrovert, and she recharges her battery in public settings, at parties and things like that 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 I enjoy, but they drain me. Uh, one of the most horrifying things for me to imagine is going to a mall during Christmas time when I'm overwhelmed by the volume of humanity that are crowded into a small space. My wife gets lit up by that. So um, I would say it really depends on the person. It, you know, what really does recharge your battery? And those are just two examples of a multitude of things that we would need to do to take care of ourselves, including knowing what to do when you get triggered, knowing what to do when you're in a difficult spot, not just your general daily maintenance program, but, you know, what to do when you're in a tough, tough situation. All of those apply. So being able to make sure that you have fuel in the tank by doing things like you're talking about, going away for time by yourself or going to that party, whatever it is that that energizes you, that's important. And it sounds like without that, we won't be able to necessarily do well at recognizing what triggers us and uh, dealing appropriately with that. And it, you have to make it okay. It, it, you have, it starts off by realizing it's not only okay, but that our Father in Heaven is counting on us to make sure we're in a good place mm-hmm. and that we're full and that we're well cared for. Just like when I think about my children, I have four children, they're all adults at this point, and when they were little, it was my job to care for them. As they became adults and launched out on their own and then had children of their own, uh, I was I've, I love them and I've counted on them to take care of themselves. And when they treat themselves poorly, when they neglect themselves, allow themselves to be mistreated, all that stuff. As a father, at a distance, looking on, it breaks my heart. And I'm confident that I don't love my children more than than their Father in Heaven loves them. I don't love my children more than He loves me. And that if I'm not caring well for myself, and He sees me being neglected or abused or whatever, that it breaks His heart if I don't do anything about that. He's counting on me. Mm. That's powerful to think that what we want for our children, that's often what God wants for us too. And so if we want something for our children, we need to do that for ourselves as well. Wow. And realize that when we're doing that and that we're running on all cylinders, when we're thriving, mm-hmm. and then as a result, because, you know, it never stops with me. You know, the, the, the goal is not just for me to be full and whole and healthy and, and so forth, as if that's the end game. Mm-hmm. You know, he blesses me so that I can be a blessing to others. And, and it, it's always about extending and paying it forward, extending it out there, because, you know, I'm, I'm on this planet because God planted me here with on purpose, with purpose, and there's there are those that He loves that He's counting on me to be to be ministering to, to be reaching, to be loving on, to be investing in, and so forth. 
and that I, I need to be tied to his greater purposes. And those are all, those are all in my mind. So yes, um, I love to be blessed and to let him bless me, but it's so that then I can be um, used by him to bless others. Heart to Heart today with David Disty, and also our guest today is Dr. Bob Paul, Vice President of Focus on the Families Marriage Institute. Uh, we'll take a quick moment here to take a break, but we have lots more to come today on Heart to Heart, all you ever wanted to know on The Rock 98.5. Back here on All You Ever Wanted to Know, last Friday of the month means Heart to Heart with uh, David Disty, and also joining us, Dr. Bob Paul, Vice President of Focus on the Families Marriage Institute. So, Bob, we've been talking a lot about the importance of caring for ourselves. Um, and then when we are doing well at caring for ourselves, when we are um, whole with, with Christ, uh, what, is, what is the foundation of a marriage when two people do have that, that sense of uh, wholeness together? Well, you know, obviously, what everybody's longing for, and I'm convinced that what God has placed in us as a deep longing is to us, for us to be really close and connected to our spouse, particularly, I mean, to other human beings, maybe, but, but especially to a, a certain person that we can count on, our, and that this is what I think drives most of us to move toward a marriage, and then to get married with a longing to have that deep, uh, intimate bond created and experienced. What so people go into the relationship looking for that, and what most people don't realize, I think, is that there is a uh, an environment that we that if we are aware of the importance of creating this, and we put our time and energy into creating it, it makes everything so much easier and goes so much better. So I, I'd love if it's okay with you to just describe that. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so what I found, and this what I'm going to give you now is what I could consider the short course, the easy way to creating that ideal relationship. Um, one of my great passions in life is to find the easiest possible way to do everything, and uh, marriage is no exception. I'm not opposed to hard work. I'm a hard worker, but I like working efficiently and effectively whenever possible. What I found is that most people in their attempt to get those deep longings satisfied focus on one of two things, and either of them sends you down the wrong path. Now, the first one will be kind of surprising, because what, what I'm saying, you don't want to make the center of your target. The main thing you're driving after is intimacy, uh, closeness, connection, all those things that we want the outcome to be. Um, and... There are so many things that help people toward that end, and that is what you want to see happen. But we're, what I'm saying is don't make that the objective. Don't make creating intimacy, creating closeness and connection the actual goal that you're, you're shooting at, the target that you're shooting at. Um, matter of fact, you can go to a bookstore. Uh, most large bookstores, the ones that are left in our culture, um, <laughs> they will, you can go to the, somewhere in the store, they'll have a whole wall of books on how to create intimacy. And actually, I'm going to tell you, more often than not, it's a waste of time. Mm. Even if some of those books might have my name on them, and I know my publisher would hate me saying this, waste of time, not the thing you want to spend your time focusing on. Wrong, wrong target. Second thing, 
that people mistakenly focus on is is what they know has to occur in order for an intimate connection to occur because intimacy at its core is really about getting to know each other and it's really an open heart to open heart connection so people would naturally think what you want to do is get your heart open uh, but i'm telling you that's the wrong target to shoot at also um, if you use one of the two common ways people do that or try to attempt to, to make that happen first one is just reckless where they throw their heart open rush headlong into the relationship hoping that somehow they don't get hurt their heart doesn't get crushed or shredded and that just feels like pure carelessness in any human relationship the second one uh, more commonly uses what i call trying to use the crowbar approach because it's like trying to pry open a manhole cover on a street um, while you're standing on it and you know you're trying to pry that open with the crowbar and uh, and your but your weight is pressing down. You can't get it open. And here's why I say that: um, we understand that in order to get connected to someone, you got to be wide open. But so part of you wants to get open and say, "Hey, I need this in order to have what I'm longing for." But another part of you goes, "Yeah, but the last time I did that, I got hurt. You're a fool to do that." But the other part of you says, "But but I want to get connected, and unless I'm open, I can't." And that other part says, but you'll get hurt if you do that. And you've got this tug-of-war going on inside that is just an exercise in frustration and futility. So what we say is don't focus on getting connected. Don't make, make your focus on getting open. This next part, what we say to focus on, is sadly surprising to most people. What we tell them is to put all your time, energy, and attention into creating safety and security physically safe mentally safe spiritually safe and last but not least emotionally safe and what's and here's why when people feel really supremely safe and secure what do they naturally do well they naturally relax and their heart opens and when two people with their hearts wide open are in close proximity to each other Intimacy, closeness, connection, bonding happens without any effort, without any, any, any strain at all. It just naturally occurs. And the sad thing, guys, is that most of the people I've talked to, most of the people I've worked with over the years, have never made safety and security their primary objective. And it's a shock to them. And as soon as they see it, they get it. And it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. So ironically, when people focus on intimacy or when they focus on that openness, that that pursuit of those things ends up being the thing that they can't get um, because they're, like you said, they're trying to stand on the manhole cover while they're prying it open and it does not work. But safety uh, leads to the openness, which leads to the intimacy. Yeah, just it, when people feel safe, they relax. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it is shocking when I work with people, when I talk to groups and so forth. How revolutionary that silly idea is. I mean, this stuff is not complicated. God's design, the good news, the gospel, at its core is simple. And I'm convinced that we have an enemy that does not want us to know this stuff mm-hmm. because, it, you know, if we're pursuing a, a, a track that we can't succeed with, he wins. And this, and God's way is so ridiculously simple. And if He can keep us off track, 
He can keep us frustrated, keep us miserable, keep our relationships from being successful. But this stuff is really crazy simple, and it's at times frustrating to me that so few people understand it. Mm-hmm. And so how do we go about safety? Like, I, I think so often people ignore safety um, and don't know how to, how to build a sense of safety in their relationship. Uh, what, can, what can we do to build that safety? Well, it, it, it's, it depends on which element you're working on. First of all, it's when I'm thinking about my marriage to Jenny, I'm focused on both my own safety and her safety. I want both of us to feel safe and secure. So let's talk physically. Um, I want my wife to know that, that when it comes to anything related to her body, anything related to her body, that I have access to her body in any way that I will treat her and her physically with the utmost care and utmost respect, um, and that when it comes to my body, that I treat my body with, re- with care and respect, and I would expect her to do so likewise, and therefore physically, and also just on the maintenance level, that I would eat well, that I would get rest, that I would keep my life in some level of balance, those kind of things, so that this body, this, this machine, uh, this house of God will thrive. So that's physically. Uh, Safety mentally would be that, let's say, that we can share ideas with one another without fear of being ridiculed or made fun of. Um, You know, that we can, you know, and sometimes I can have stupid ideas, uh, but they sound smart in my head until until they hit oxygen, and then they they don't sound so smart, or they turn out to not be rational. Um, But I need to be able to be free to just have ideas and share those ideas um, without worried that, that Jenny is going to make fun of me or ridicule me and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So that might be, those are some ideas mentally. Spiritually, it's amazing how rare it is that people feel super comfortable being in the presence of God together, praying together, because it is truly a very vulnerable, intimate space. And I talk to scores of people that, that don't ever pray together because it feels too exposing and to be able to stand in the presence of God together, to pray together and so forth without fear of, again, being made fun of or being that much known and exposed uh, is, is what you would want to do. Uh, you want to have that as your goal to make it so you can do that. And then lastly, uh, emotionally, to be able to talk about your feelings, your fears, as well as your joys, your insecurities, your, your hurts, your grief, the sadness that you might feel, to be able to be comfortable with your feelings and be able to be comfortable with your spouse's feelings so that they can share them without fear that they'll be told their feelings are wrong or they're stupid or they're irrational. You shouldn't feel that way as if you had a choice. So those are just some ideas of safety in each of the four primary aspects of a human being. And so it sounds like in each of these four aspects, uh, physical, emotional, um, spiritual, mental, there's um, a way that we need to develop uh, compassion for ourselves. I'm not sure if compassion is the right word, and compassion for the other person to, like you said, take care of your own body and respect uh, your partner's um, physical body as well. And likewise with their, their emotions, to care for our own emotions and care about um, our partner's emotions too. There's, there's both sides to it. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's what that's what people are generally longing for. They want to experience being cared for. Um, and honestly, uh, because I'm a grown adult, I'm not a little boy anymore. 
Um, I used to think that, that all of those areas needed to be cared for primarily by Jenny, but the reality is uh, I'm a, because I'm a grown adult, it's my responsibility. When I was a little boy, it was mommy and daddy's responsibility, but now I'm a grown man. So caring for Bob is Bob's responsibility. Mm-hmm. But I also want Jenny to experience me caring about and in an appropriate way for her, to assist her in taking care of herself. And nobody does more to help me care for me than Jenny. But Jenny's not taking care of Bob like I'm a little boy. Jenny is helping Bob take care of Bob. And she's more of a voluntary uh, assistant, if you will. And she does lots to do that. But she is a volunteer, even though she's my wife. I've got the primary responsibility, as does she for herself. And we're finding that to be so much more effective and successful than what we used to do when I was begging us to be more codependent, where I'll take responsibility for you, Jenny, and you take responsibility for me. That one just didn't get us there. No, because we end up being in a place where we we can't read each other's minds, and um, if we could read each other's minds, we can't even take care of each other the way that we might feel is needed. Um, so yeah, it just doesn't work if we're trying to take take over the other person and do do what we think they need to do or take care of what they want. It's also incredibly disempowering. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I in in the old days when I before I, I came to my senses, when I would get upset in, about something that happened in our relationship. I believed what I needed to go do was go talk to Jenny, and I would always want to talk about two things, what she did I didn't like and what I wanted her to do differently. And, um, and without realizing it, I basically believed that she was responsible for why I was feeling bad, and she had the power to make it better. And it dawned on me one day that, therefore, she had all the power, and I felt powerless. And the reason she had all the power was I gave it to her, and God made it very clear to me, Bob, I didn't give you the power to give it to Jenny. I gave you the power to use it and use it well and use it effectively and use it responsibly. And that's, and you know, he wants me to be a fully empowered man and he wants Jenny to be a fully empowered woman mm-hmm. and to, to use that power for my well-being and the betterment of others and for the advancement of the kingdom. Yeah, and when we're in that space where we're we're taking care of our own um, wants and desires, where we're taking care of ourselves instead of expecting the other person to, uh, then communication ends up being not about uh, what I need from you or what you did wrong, but it's more about um, opening up and sharing from from ourselves. Like I said, the the safety leads to openness. It's not telling the other person you need to do this, you need to change that. It's openness about what's going on inside me. Yeah, which isn't to say that we, you know, that we don't we don't affect each other relationship mm-hmm. relationally, and we don't need to talk about the things that maybe aren't working well in our relationship. But I, I really don't want to make my ability to be in an okay place dependent on how Jenny shows up, because you know that I don't have a lot of say over that. She's a free will agent, and you know she may care, she may not. Um, but I want to make sure that I'm able to be in an okay place regardless. I, I know, it, um, I'm not sure um, in Canada if they have the, the, this expression, but in the States it's a pretty common expression of um, that uh, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And that's like a, that's like a club you can join. And I've surrendered my membership. I am, I'm no longer a card-carrying member of, of the If Mama Ain't Happy, Ain't Nobody Happy Club uh, because I have 
learned how to be in an okay place, even when Jenny's having a bad day. And she is so grateful that mm. when she's in a bad place, the whole world doesn't fall apart, apart for Bob because I'm not able to be there for her in a meaningful way when she's having a bad day if it immediately sends me into a bad place. So that works out better for us, too. Because I, I imagine that would end up decreasing her sense of safety, that if, if I'm having these emotional troubles and my partner isn't able to take care of himself, then why would I share my emotions? So you well, taking care of yourself builds safety. Of, yeah, a couple of times she actually got really upset you know, when the kids were little and you know she'd have a bad day and the whole family would fall apart everybody and she said how come i she yelled how come i just i can't have just a bad day without everybody mm -hmm. falling apart because then she felt she had to be responsible to take care of everybody and when we when we figured out how to take care of ourselves and gave her the space to have a bad moment that was a tremendous relief to her and you know and she's she's thankful that that uh um, the whole world doesn't rest on her shoulders, that we can actually be okay and, and be there for her for a change. Mm -hmm. Heart to Heart today with uh, David Disty and also Dr. Bob Paul with Focus on the Families Institute of Marriage. And we'll take a quick break here on the program. More with David and Dr. Paul right after this. Back on Heart to Heart with David Disty and our special guest, Dr. Bob Paul. We're talking today about uh, Focus on the Families, Marriage Institute, and just all around some great advice that we can take and walk in our daily lives with uh, some great advice coming through today. Yeah, so we've talked uh, a bit about how focusing on safety in a relationship can help uh, build towards openness and intimacy. Um, but I hear a lot of couples come and they say, you know what, we really need to focus on communication. We need to figure out how to have a good talk. Um, so, so in your work, Bob, what have you found really helps couples to communicate well? Well, you know, it really is the most common thing that people cite as uh, a source of frustration because... They find, especially when emotions get charged a little bit, that the communication doesn't go well. Or if there's, you know, unmet expectations, which is commonly occurring when you've got two people who are by design different, which, of course, is really accounting for just about everybody on the planet that's married to anybody that's not themselves. Um, so, you know, th those kind of frustrations are going to always be there, and they don't know how to safely and effectively talk about that and deal with differences and so forth. Um, so, yeah, communication is a big deal. What we do want to encourage is for people to be able to talk about, um, have communication that feels effective uh, because just taking care of yourself isn't satisfying. It, you know, Nobody is interested in being married and feeling as if they're living on parallel tracks where there's no meaningful, satisfying interactions that are going on. Mm -hmm. And so, so how do we get that those meaningful, satisfying interactions? Well, one of the first things we, I want to encourage people to do is recognize that because the thing that they're longing for, the intimate connection, the bonding that they're longing for, is, um, is first and foremost a heart-to-heart -heart connection. Many people don't realize how central emotions are, feelings are to this. Uh, I know there's a lot of us, a lot of the guys that are out there, but you know, a lot of the women who, who are very good at what we call work talk. You know, you can, you can um, deal with 
not only the the basic um, uh, details of getting life done, you know, who's going to pick up Johnny from 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 soccer or whatever, uh, or from school or blah 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 blah, or you know, what do we, who's you know what who's going to make dinner tonight or how are we going to get the house taken care of and who's going to help Susie with their homework, all those kind of things. Those are important details. But they, but being good at running your your family business doesn't necessarily lead you to a feeling of deep emotional connection, and heart connection, and satisfaction. Um, and what people don't realize is that since the intimate bond, the intimate connection, is an open heart to open heart experience, feelings are the substance. Without being able to connect at an emotional level you will not be able to experience a deep, intimate bond. It's just not possible. So we encourage people to, first of all, recognize that emotions are important. Feelings are important. They're God-created. Feelings didn't happen by accident. They were created on purpose, with purpose, by God himself. Every single feeling has purpose. So we want to talk about how do you talk about um Topics that are emotionally charged, let's say, that have emotions involved in them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you talked, this is an open heart to open heart conversation. It brings to mind like an open heart surgery that this is such a, uh, an important time. There's uh, a lot at stake here. There's a lot that we need to take um, carefully and tenderly. Like you wouldn't barge into an operating room and uh, be... Uh, fighting or loud or something like that you'd be very intentional about what you're going to do. And it sounds similar here. Yeah, well, most people, and most people, when they get to these conversations, they're incredibly careless. And we use a model that we call the ICU model, you know, just like an intensive care unit in a hospital. And the reason that we do that, it really is founded on a, a very important, we believe, and powerful scripture. Proverbs 4.23 says this very clearly, and it starts above all else. And I'm convinced as a student of the Word of God, that any scripture that starts above all else is God saying, everybody sit up and take notice. This is an important, what's going to follow is really important. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So God is saying, above all else, guard this heart where all the feelings emanate from, because it is through the heart that life itself springs forth. So we're saying, like you're suggesting, that if we're going to be talking about anything heart-related, that we would start off being extremely careful. If, if, we're going to, if I'm going to let Jenny into my heart or Jenny's going to let me into her heart to know how she feels, I need to proceed with caution, with care, because if those conversations are hurtful, how mm-hmm. excited do you think you'll be tomorrow to go back again and do it again? Well, probably not. And then when people get hurt often enough... They just stop being willing to go to those conversations, and then the closeness and the intimacy just fades or dies completely. Mm-hmm. And when you say proceed with caution, that doesn't mean avoid these difficult conversations altogether, but make sure that you're doing it intentionally to to do it well. Right, and and many people view the, the feelings, especially the difficult ones, like hurt or fear or sadness and grief, they, they, they view those feelings as negative, uh, as bad. Now, I understand they're pleasant, but we take a p- position here that feelings are morally neutral data. Mm-hmm. They are, there's no 
good feeling or bad feeling in terms of a, a judgment. Now, there are pleasant and unpleasant feelings, but that's very different. But many people judge them as bad. And when you do that, you're not going to be willing to sit with your own, let alone with somebody else. But interestingly, I'll ask people this question a lot. If you have a friend that you can always count on to be there when times are good, but at the slightest sign of difficulty, they hightail and run, we commonly have a name for a friend like that. Do you, do you have a sense of what we would call them? Like a fair-weather friend? A fair-weather friend. And the reason that we call them a fair-weather friend is because there's no security in that relationship. If mm-hmm. You can't count on that person to be there when the chips are down, when you're in a difficult time. So if you can't, I mean, what people often don't realize, and I didn't realize this for many years, is that the deepest bonding events in a relationship's life is not when you share the victories and the celebrations. It's when you are present with each other and you succeed, you successfully negotiate through difficulties. Mm-hmm. That's where, And when someone really shows up in a hard moment and is really there with you and for you, that's when you know you've got someone you can count on. And then when you've got someone that you know you can count on when the chips are down, that's what really opens the top door and allows you to really experience the highs that are possible, the celebration. So we want people to learn, and we teach people to learn to talk about and be open and present with each other in, those, in the whole range of emotions without feeling they've got to make them go away and just eliminate them or try and you know, see someone who's hurting as being broken and needing to be fixed as opposed to someone that needs to be understood, cared for, and, and, and sat with. Because, again, those emotions aren't uh, good or bad. They're morally neutral. They're information. So the more we can learn from them, the more we can deal with them um, maybe more appropriately or better. Absolutely. Like, like sadness, many people are terrified of grief. Mm-hmm. But in reality, grief is just a facet of love. You never grieve something that you didn't care about. And the, the depth of your grief will always reflect the depth of your care. Matter of fact, one of my favorite verses in all Scripture is the shortest. Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. And he was weeping over his friend Lazarus dying because he didn't get there in time to avert the death. Well, it's interesting in that passage because in the next moment, uh, he's going to raise Lazarus from the, from the grave. He's been dead for several days. He's going to raise him from the grave, and you almost would you got to figure he knew he was either capable of that or was going to do that, so you almost got to say, well, why waste the tears? Well, apparently Jesus didn't think it was a waste. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, He's loving his friend, and he's, he's experiencing his own grief and the grief of those who also love deeply, and that's a reflection of the heart of Christ. That's nothing to be afraid of. That's, 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 love. Um, that's love in a very deep form. I'm thankful. I, I lost a granddaughter at two and a half years of age. I'm grateful that I care—I cared enough about her to grieve deeply, and that I still care enough about that relationship that when I think about it, at times it can bring me to tears. But it's not something I'm afraid of. I'm grateful that my heart is patterned after the Lord's, and that I'm able and willing to love so deeply that I would grieve deeply the loss of someone I care for. Mm. And so then when a couple can come together in difficult times like that, 
and grieve together or um, honor each other's uh, pain in those moments. That that builds a sense of intimacy and closeness. Yeah, and a safe place to feel what you feel. Mm. And, you know, sometimes, guys, I, I also have feelings that are irrational or that are based on irrational beliefs. And I even know they're irrational, but, you know, I, it's not like I chose my feelings. I'm just feeling in that moment, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is kind of silly. I'm kind of overreacting, but, but I really am feeling that way, and telling myself I'm stupid for feeling that way doesn't seem to help, or having someone else tell me, or that you shouldn't feel that way. Well, that's very helpful. I mean, I didn't pick these feelings. There they are. Mm-hmm. So, so having my wife able to be with me in those moments and me being able and willing to be with her and just feel with her, try and understand. Now, I did say that feelings are never right or wrong, good or bad, true or false. They're just data. But beliefs, however, can be true or false. Mm-hmm. I can believe things that are not true, and uh, to replace them with the truth uh, is very useful. But and they will oftentimes, irrational beliefs will oftentimes generate very powerful feelings, but the feelings aren't the problem, the belief's the problem. Mm-hmm. And so we need to adjust the, the beliefs and honor the feelings, but adjust kind of how, how we deal with them. Yeah, and sometimes mm-hmm. just to look at the belief and try and see if I can trace it back to what, what I, honor the, excuse me, uh, honor the, the feeling and trace it back to see what the belief was, to see whether it's true or false that was generating that feeling. That I find to be terribly useful. Mm-hmm. That, that can be that can be extremely helpful. But to tell myself I shouldn't feel something when I'm already feeling it, or to tell someone else they shouldn't feel something when they're already feeling it, doesn't tend to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And I imagine it's a, a transformative thing for a couple when they can finally have a talk like this, a, a heart talk, and feel truly understood that, you know, this other person that I'm sharing this with understands where I'm coming from. They get my emotions and what's driving it, and they're not judging me, but they're they're validating where I'm coming from. Absolutely. And what we really encourage people to do when they're trying to have this conversation to make it safe is to exercise this incredibly complex principle of taking turns. Mm-hmm. You know, you realize you've got to have one person who's the speaker and one person who's the listener and that the job of the speaker is to share their heart. The job of the listener is trying to hear the heart, understand, and care about what the other person's feeling. And then you take turns. And, and if you confuse that, we find many people are very poor at listening when they've got their own stuff going on. And they're not really, they're like a listener poser. They're more what we call a speaker in waiting. They're not, they're not really focused on understanding and caring about what the other person's feeling. Uh, and I've done this many times. I, I'm plotting my rebuttal and look, listen, listening mm-hmm. for the holes in Jenny's argument, and none of that leads to a feeling of caring um, for Jenny when I'm when I'm listening from that place. Instead of really trying to get her what she's feeling, without needing to do anything about it, change it just to get that's what she's feeling, care about it, and then when she's done, we can switch roles. I can talk about what I'm feeling. She can attempt to try and understand it, um, and hopefully to my satisfaction, really get what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have a meaningful connection when we do that well. One thing I love is, um, I forget who said it, I think it might have been Roosevelt or somebody like that, uh, said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
That just speaks so much Absolutely. to me in this, that uh, the person that you're listening to, they're not going to hear what you have to say until they really feel heard and valued and understood. And so if you want them to understand you, you first need to sit and listen and understand them. Yeah, and I don't need to, when I'm listening to Jenny's heart, I don't need to agree with her or feel the same way. I, have to, I often don't feel the same way mm-hmm. when I'm hearing how Jenny's feeling about a situation because we're really different. We're wired different. We're built different. And uh, um, But I can understand and care about her feelings, and I don't have to choose between her feelings and my feelings as if one is right and one is wrong. No, we're different. We can have mm-hmm. very different feelings about the exact same set of circumstances, and I'm, I don't want to choose. I've learned that you choose, you lose. Mm-hmm. The enemy wants us to choose. The enemy wants the house to be divided. I don't want to choose me over Jenny or Jenny over me. I want to choose me and Jenny. And both of us are going to matter, and therefore our hearts and our feelings are both going to matter. That's where I feel setting a goal sometimes in a, in a well, just even just a discussion or something like along the lines of really when my wife wants to tell me about a, a really bad day, I'll just even flat out ask her sometimes, uh, do you just want to use this as an opportunity to rant, or do you want me to try and help you approach and, and tackle this problem? And sometimes that can help really proceed with a, a more healthy conversation is just knowing, hey, do you just want me there as that listening ear? Do you want me to come up with some opportunities to, you know, tackle this? Coming along those same and lines it, together can certainly help a long ways as well. No doubt about it. And for guys, that's particularly helpful because for guys, typically in guy world, if I ever go to, if I go to one of you and you're my good friends and I've got an issue, I've got a problem, and I go to you and say, hey, I got this problem. I'm typically going to want you to come up with some kind of a solution. And if all you do is empathize and go, oh, Bob, that probably is, you know, really hard for you and so forth. I'll go, what the heck was that? I needed a guy to give me give me help. Um, but I realized that with my wife, more often than not, she just wants me to hear her. Mm-hmm. She, doesn't, she, she actually would be put off if I try and fix it and offer solutions, which is confusing for most men because we're thinking, you know, we're going to bring our A game and give her our best, so we're going to, we think she wants our help. Well, she just wants us to care, and mm-hmm. women frequently feel, you know, something like, well, you don't think I can solve my own problems? And I'm, as a guy, I'm baffled by that because I'm going, no, that's not what I was thinking at all. I figured you came to me because you wanted, you wanted me to help you figure out how to solve it. So for me to do what you just suggested and ask and say, right now, Jenny, are you wanting me just to listen and care, or are you wanting me to try and help you solve something? Um, it helps me know which gear to go into, which mode to operate. And if she wants a solution, I'll gladly try and brainstorm with her. But if she just wants me to hear her heart and be there with her and care about and try and understand, then I can do that too. Hmm. So we've gone through a lot of information. Um, if people want to find out more about uh, the folks on the Family Marriage Institute, where can they get more information, uh, more from the work that you guys have done or things that might help them in their marriage? Uh, well, there's, you know, you could certainly go to, uh, if you want to know about our Hope Restored program for couples in crisis, you can go to hoperestored.com um, on, the, on the Internet and find that or go to the Focus on the Family website and click on marriage you'll find a whole lot about what we've what we have and what we've developed we've also you know written books over the years and so forth so there's a variety of different resources that are available to get more information on what we've learned and what we do 
Uh, what are some of those books that you'd recommend uh, on this topic that we've been discussing? Well, one of the earliest ones that we wrote uh, was called The DNA of Relationships, and it's actually, it looks as if it was written by Gary Smalley, um, but it was actually Gary and Greg and I, and, and the publisher just wanted Gary's name and, on the, on, and picture on the cover, but we, the three of us wrote it, and it's based on what we were learning in those days, and then Greg Smalley and I wrote another book uh, a few years later called The DNA of Relationships for Couples, which actually gives you an inside look not only of the principles that we teach, but what actually goes on inside and intensive when we're working with couples that are in a really tough place. But um, So those are a couple right there. And then there's a number that Greg has written, Greg Smalley, and those those can all be tracked down on uh, um, either on, on Amazon or on our website. Okay. So hoperestored.com, um, DNA of relationships, DNA of relationships for couples, and uh, a lot of great stuff uh, there. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got more stuff coming. We, Greg and I should have a new book out next year. That work, The working title right now is Nine Lies That Destroy Marriages, and the subtitle is And the Truth That Set Them Free. Excellent. Okay. Great stuff. Well, want to thank you again, uh, Dr. Paul, being our guest today on the program, and uh, David for lining up. Such a great guest, too. Uh, we'll see you again soon. All right. Thank you, Dr. Paul. You bet. Thank you guys for having me on. It's Heart to Heart on All You Ever Wanted to Know the last Friday of the month. Until next time, have yourself a wonderful day and be blessed.